if you look for it, every day has cause for celebration. Celebrate a friend for their promotion baby wedding life thing. Celebrate yourself for keeping the couch warm. It's no easy feat, especially if it's a big couch. Or maybe you just want to celebrate living in 2023 where you can get beer, wine, and spirits delivered from Drizzly in under 60 minutes without leaving said couch. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com and get your favorite drinks delivered today. Musician Podcast with creator and host Nomad. With 20 plus years of experience in the music industry, Nomad has done just about everything to earn a living as a career musician. From being music director to celebrity artists, playing iconic arenas and stadiums, composing for film and TV, and even playing your average local club gigs, he's done it all. Nomad's mission is to empower musicians across the globe with strategies for a sustainable career while blasting stereotypes and to bring you tried and true wisdom from his colleagues in this crazy business we call music. Welcome to another episode of the Career Musician Podcast. Today, we're talking with Steve Postel, another member of the Immediate Family Band. That's right. We have Danny Korchmar, Wadi Watel, and now Steve Postel, the three guitar men of the group. Steve is not only an artist and producer, composer in his own right, but he's also an engineer and has worked on a slew of projects with a list of names that would rock your socks. Well, Steve, nice to meet you. Thank you so much for being a guest here. Uh, I have to start off by saying exactly what I told your brothers in the immediate family. I'm a fan. So I'm a fan of what you do. I'm a fan of what you guys do collectively. So I consider it an honor to have you on the Career Musician Podcast. Oh, it's great. It's it's uh, I'm a fa- I'm a fan of the band too. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now you've had such uh, a great career spanning, you know, over the years, and like so many of us, quote unquote, career musicians, your career is very versatile. You do many things. You wear many hats. And, I've, ha- uh, I've I've had I- to. <laughs> Right, exactly. So I love that. I think that's part of the key to to survival, right? It's interesting. I, I had a interesting experience that way back that that uh, kind of made me choose that route. So up until I was about sixteen, I was just going to be a songwriter, band, you know, musician, songwriter. Not and. Uh, I took a painting class with a guy named Norman Rabin, who was a brilliant teacher, a son of Shalom Aleichem, who wrote Fiddler on the Roof. And in the class, it was a very small class, was Bob Dylan. 
And Dylan was coming off that motorcycle accident, and he was very, he wasn't performing, and I just, in my 16-year-old mind, I I saw him as kind of uh, very uncentered at that time, which I think he was. And I was like, well, he can be uncentered because he's Bob Dylan. What would happen to me? And I just, in my mind, went, I better go to music school and learn a lot of shit so that, uh, so if I ever get in that position, I'm still can work. So right. it was a very impactful right. moment of me. And who knows, I was projecting, of course, but that was, that was a, that's what sort of made me say, I'm, I'm going to go to music school and, and learn, learn the craft. That's uh, that's very reflective of you and honest, right? It, it was it was just a thing that I you know again when you're 16 you're creative I think everything is going through this lens. That's how I perceived, like looking at myself like well if I didn't get famous like Bob Dylan and I was and I was rudderless I'd be on the street, <laughs> you know. So maybe I should yeah. make this into a job. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's brilliant. I think uh, from an early point, a lot of us make these decisions innately without even you know really recognizing it, which helps sustain our career over the long term. So I think that's amazing. Um, one of the things I always talk about as a career musician and what I'm teaching to the younger generations of aspiring uh, pros is diversification. Especially in this day and age. Especially now, I, t- I same thing with my students. I, I like, and one, you know, one of them. I'm so proud of him. He, he was a good guitar player. You know, he went to music school. But, but what's he? He he built a studio. He's you now already producing his friends. But right from the start, I said, dude, learn how to record. Learn this. You know, I've got everything here. I'll teach you all of it, not just guitar. You know, right, and, right. So important. So important. All right, so you already took us back there, but talk more about your history. So you said you took this painting class at 16. Bob Dylan was in the class with you. What was your childhood like? Where'd you grow up? And how did the music bug actually bite you? Grew up uh, in New York City at the, just for my mind, just such a fertile, awesome time to be in New York. Uh, The creativity that was going on there. And I grew up with parents who were very into sharing it with us so i mean i saw segovia when i was six and ravi shankar when i was eight and oh man and nuriev and you know and like we just were always going to this stuff you know uh so and museums it, the whole thing it was it was quite uh i talked to friends of mine who grew up here and nothing against la i, lo- I love being here but they're pretty envious of that era and the the life that that we had so um, neither of my parents were musicians, but but they loved art. My mother's a painter, and she had, and I've asked her how she got it. She she hasn't had a really compelling answer. And a phenomenal record collection, just wow, everything, old from the blues, jazz, classical, show to it, and it was big collection. So and so they bought me. I had my own little record player in my room from when I was like five. And I just go in the big room and grab stuff and put it on my little record player. So between that access and and just being in New York, I mean, first of all, I mean, my guitar teacher, when I was twelve, took me to see Hair in a when it was at the Cheetah Club. It wasn't even on Broadway, you know. Wow. Uh, I didn't mind that there were nude people on stage for the twelve years. I was pretty <laughs> blown away. Uh, but um, 
And there was no carding. There was no... So I started going to Fillmore East at 13 years old. Wow. You know? So, so, the, so the, it was a very, very rich cultural, inspirational way to grow up, place to grow up. It was diverse. It was very diverse. Culture, uh, every kind of person, every kind of racially, musically. I feel very lucky. And I, and I know that talking to like Danny and, you know, the East Coast guys and Wadi particularly, you know, I, I think the other guys were out here, but we all kind of experienced that. But I grew up right in Manhattan. That's amazing. I'm, I'm a Long Island boy myself. And, uh, you know, I love the East Coast. I still miss it, like you mentioned. Um, and I was talking to your bandmates, Cooch and Wadi. Same thing. I do envy the fact that you guys did come up in that era when culturally, like you said, it was so rich. It was, I, it was the Renaissance, It was the Renaissance. Right? <laughs> Every weekend, I saw music that I didn't take for granted. I loved it, but I didn't know how special it was going to be. Every weekend I saw something classic. I'd see Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee. Then the next week, Doc Watson. The next week, B.B. King. Then the next week, Poco. Then the next week, John McLaughlin. I mean, that's what life was like. And we went every weekend. Like me and my friend, I had a few friends. That's what we did. Wow. That is so awesome. So needless to say then, that's how the music bug bit you. It was... By exposure from your parents being into the scene? Uh, you know, I got bit so young that I can't tell you my earliest memory about it. And my mother, we figured I was about five years old. I was walking through Central Park and a guy was playing the guitar and singing. And I just locked onto it. I just, I just locked onto it. I just loved it so much. Yeah. And for, for whatever reason. And I wanted that. I wanted to do it. And then, and then, before I was six, she did. She took me to Segovia and Montoya, and I just and then the Beatles came out. So let's you know, and that was that. It's just I had to do that, and I begged them until, and people told them I was too little, so they waited till I was eight, and then I got my guitar. So I'm I'm a fellow guitar player as well, and for those of you who may not know, Andre Segovia and Montoya, they're the most. Uh, what is it, Carlos Montoya, Carlos right? Montoya, who is the uh, yeah. flamenco version of Segovia. Of yeah. Segovia, and Segovia was a Spaniard, uh, classical guitarist. Right. These were the godfathers of classical and flamenco guitar. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, you're talking about you know royalty here in that genre, in those genres. Yeah. And of course, John McLaughlin and, and, and Poco and B.B. King, all of the greats of so many various genres, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there was... That was the other thing that was interesting, I think, about that time. At least for someone like me, there was there were no boundaries genre-wise. I mean, I I didn't differentiate. I saw everything I could, and it was all you know from avant-garde and, and Larry Coryell on one day, and then oh, John Hammond yeah. Jr. another day, and it didn't. It, it didn't have the same even well fm radio didn't have those boundaries that's when fm radio hit you'd hear all these different things on it and, incredible uh, yeah yeah uh, incredible all right so at that early age you're influenced the bug bit you then you take this class you decide that you're going to go to music school what was that period like and you know what were some of the things you did yeah i so i I had already, so I, just to backtrack a little bit, so the first teacher I got, and again, these are very sort of poignantly 
key moments in, in how you develop. He happened to be a guy who who did a lot of things. He played classical guitar. He sang. He sang. Folk, he was in a folk group, kind of like a Peter Paul and Mary. He was also on Broadway. He was a dancer. So so right. So from the first day, I was learning to read and sing, and play classical and play folk songs. Uh. So it all was integrated right from the start for me. That's invaluable. Yeah. Wow. So I'll always, his name was Richard Nevis, and I'll always be eternally grateful that he's the guy who walked in the door. For me personally, maybe for someone else, there would have been another great teacher. For me personally, that was the right guy. That was the one. And he was just an independent, private instructor? Yeah, he taught many, many people. And uh, I, How do you spell Nevis? N-I-E-V-E-S. And I can't find him. N-I-E-V-E-S. I've Googled him. I can't find him. Oh. I'd love to share with him what happened in my life. But... Um, Absolutely. Uh, so, so after the, so by the time high school was over, I did a little. I took a year off to to just focus on guitar, on music, and to kind of go around to colleges and look. And then went up to Brown and Sarah Lawrence and Wesley and looked, and I just realized I knew what I wanted to do. That it, you know, even though they all had good music programs, I just didn't want to. Do anything else, and and so I I went and auditioned for Manus College of Music, which has since merged with Manhattan College of Music. Um, but at the time, they were, they were both separate. Juilliard in 1970, whatever that was, five or six, didn't consider classical guitar a real instrument. <laughs> I had that discussion with uh, Carl Ridland, another session player out here, and when he went, he was going to get a scholarship playing clarinet, and he was going to second. Uh, in classical guitar, and the dean told him, "Absolutely not. The, the, the guitar isn't an That's instrument." Right. They, they, they still didn't. They still didn't buy it. <laughs> Incredible. So, uh, so I went to Manus, and um, uh, great environment. Had some great teachers, Elliot Fisk and Leonid Bulatin, and Oscar Gillia. I uh, went to the Aspen Music Festival in the summers, and uh, very immersed in that world. But I had a, I, I. I had a teacher. They didn't at the time. I'm sh- I'm sure it's different now. They didn't teach one note that wasn't classical. So I found a guy named Myron Weiss, uh, and Myron was a great teacher um, in the of theory and jazz harmony and and that. And I studied with him on the side. He was playing a Broadway show at the time, and. Um, so I was just really immersed. I mean, back then, you know, four hours a day was not was considered just slacking off practice wise. That's right. You know? That's right. Um, so uh, I I was there for about three years, and I still had my band. Like I always, I had two lives. You know, um, so I had a band, and uh, but I was, you know, very heavily taxed with the with the training so um so one day i'm sitting in myron's little studio on mcdougall street i think it was he gets a phone call there's no phone machines so you had to pick up and i come so sitting there waiting and uh and he goes hold on a second he turns to me he goes you want to go on the road with man of la mancha <laughs> So they, they he had played it on at Lincoln Center and he didn't want to go on the road. 
And then he went, wait, this guy I'm teaching could pull that off no problem. He plays classical, he reads, he plays, he can read charts. So all of a sudden, out of nowhere, without ever having thought, I played Broadway show. It was, never, it was the furthest thing from my mind. I went, sure, and the next thing you know, I quit Manus and I'm on the road. Man, so and you're in the pit. You're reading every night. I actually was. I actually was on stage and the pit. I see. I, there, there's okay. one part in that show for a, a minstrel guitar player, and you you actually dress up in the costume. And uh, I did the show with Ed Ames from the Ames Brothers, uh, wow. and then the next, then I did it again with John Raitt, who is Bonnie's wow. dad. Oh, look at that! So here's a here's a funny story. <laughs> so I'm doing the show. It was a three month. Those tours were like two and a half months. They were all summer. John and I got to be close because he asked me. You know, John Wright was a was a big fifties crooner star, uh, kind of one of the you know had a lot of lady fans, and you know he's a really handsome right. guy, beautiful singer. So what he did, what he liked to do at the end of the show to to appease his fans is to go out for another twenty five minutes or so and sing some of his hits from Carousel and other stuff. But he didn't play an instrument, so he asked me, he said, look, I, I, I'll pay you more, wow. and you can stay in the fancy hotels where I stay, and Ooh. but every night we'll go out and we'll <laughs> we'll do this 25-minute set. So John and I would travel to this thing together, and we'd play the thing. And John is is telling me the whole time, that I, you know, in Denver, my daughter's going to be there. She plays and sings, kind of like, you know, I can't wait for you guys to meet. I never put it together. I'm like, why is he want me to meet his daughter so much? Like, like what? <laughs> What's the deal? <laughs> and of course, that That's a, I show up. I still have pictures of, and I show up in his Bonnie Raitt. And uh, that's incredible, yeah. man! How cool is that? <laughs> All right, this is the perfect segue. So now this is your first road gig. That was my talk first about. Year. Okay, great. So talk about that. Talk about the, you know, how do you prepare yourself once you got out there and you were out for, let's say, the first, you know, three to six weeks, I'm sure you, you conditioned, you're like, okay, now I get it. You're starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together, you know, tour life, quote unquote. It was, um, it's interesting. I imagine it was quite different than like what Wadi and Danny, when those guys went on tour with the artists, I think it was a, it was a very different mm. thing, I think, but... But the, um, I was so young, I, I didn't even, I just did it. You know, I just, I went to rehearsals, I didn't know what the hell was going on, I didn't know what stage left and stage right was, <laughs> you know, I just kind of <laughs> did it. And of course then, you know, you, like I said, there wasn't even a phone machine at home, so you kind of went, hey everybody, I'll, I'll see you in three months, and maybe called one time, and you know, I called home once in the middle. So you were really like, you're out there, you just traveling around and I was in heaven I mean I was getting paid really well for, for yeah. like for the time it was kind of blowing my mind and sure and uh, not a care in the like room. you said you're staying at the nice hotels it was great it was, <laughs> it was cool. great and yeah. seeing, seeing the country you know and I did I did a bunch of those I did Broadway shows for about seven eight years culminating with uh, two years on, on Broadway in Evita and that, right. that was in the, oh, in, wow. the in the pit very cool. On the Broadway tours, just out of curiosity, were they union? Were they on the card, so yeah, to speak? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I, so, I did some. I've done a. I did a few at the time, 
non-union probably but most of what i did was union stuff yeah again that's another thing that i like to try to inform people of especially the 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 up-and-coming generations is that there are benefits of joining the union the musicians union you know i know there's a lot of i know there's a lot of you know quarrels about it and 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 discontent on on the other side as well well i mean that at the time you couldn't play a broadway show if you were in the union that you you, couldn't play it um you know now we're getting these letters well uh, we just cut everyone's pension in half, and we might have to cut it in half again. And you know, I, I I have mixed feelings about the whole thing, honestly. Yeah. But being on Broadway, it was part of the deal. It was just you had to do it. Right. Right. Because I know for a lot of the big records as well, if you're doing record dates out in L.A. or in New York, your special payments they add up over the over the years. You know. They do. I mean, there's it's you know it's a mixed bag. When I the last record I did, um, well, two records ago was on Emergent Records. And uh, and I had this one song where we had a string quartet come in, and they were the string players are hardcore union, you know they have to be, and they actually got paid less than I was paying everyone to play on the record. Like it, I know they get benefits and they get, but their 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 scale was not what I was paying people to play on my record. Right. But right. but. That's interesting. But they'll be able to retire, and I won't. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, we talked about that with the other guys, too. Retiring is like, for some, for what we do, there is no retiring. Like Wadi said, you just play until you can't play anymore. You know? <laughs> That's it. That's it. Uh, you know, I, I love you gotta, it. You know, you've got to keep in shape um, if you want to do that. Uh, you know, I, I, I heard of an interview couple weeks ago uh, john bon jovi was on the howard stern show and you know they're doing the zoom thing you know right sure and and john was goes okay i got i'm i gotta go and howard's like where are you going he's taking a voice lesson he goes really you take voice lessons he goes, yeah almost every day (laughs) and howard said what's that about so he said told the story that he had done a, a special many years ago with tony bennett tony was already in his 60s so it's like 20 years ago and John asked Tony's son, like, what's he do to he sings to sing like that? And and his son said, he vocalizes every single day of his life. And John Bon Jovi was like, that's it. I'm doing that. That's the way it goes. And so, so there you go. So, you know, I do have to really, you know, practice, vocalize, practice the guitar, keep it going, just so I don't want to, you know, feel the decline quite as much as the age ramps up. Right, I totally agree. And again, thank you. Perfect segue. Uh, I like to talk about health and lifestyle, and that is part of it. Uh, oftentimes, we talk about you know working out in a physical sense, but also working out training in the musical sense as well. Um, you look like you're in great shape. You look very healthy. What are some of the things that you've done over the years, or that you continue to do to keep your health? Well, I've always worked out. Uh, you know, I was an athlete, and I was on the basketball team in high school, and I I just like it. You know, some people don't. So I run still every other day, and I lift weights every other day, and I bike ride, and I play tennis, and I ski. And, you know, so I've always been, nice. been into that. Um, and I've never been, uh, you know, uh, I don't I don't smoke. Uh, I don't drink. Right. You know? Wow, that's good. Well, it, that it, again, it's there's it's just for it's just because I want to be able to mostly I want to be able to sing for a long time. And what I started to find out, I started to see this was about 
I think about eight years ago, I started to, when I'd have even a glass of wine, which I loved, still would, still do, but it would dry out my throat. And I started to, even the next day, not be able to sing as well. Mm. And finally, about three years ago, so I just went, you know, forget it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. I just, if it's drying out my throat, if it's making me sing wrong, because when your throat's dry, you push it to, forget it. I don't yeah. need it. I, I had plenty to drink in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, man, talk about some of your credits. And, you know, I mean, I know we already covered some of it, but your resume is so vast. Are there any particular moments that stood out? You know, like I love the story about John Raitt, Bonnie's dad. And, you know, uh, are there any things that stood out that you said, oh, wow, you know what? These people really know how to do music. They got it down. Or I had such a good time on this tour. Or I remember this session. Or, you know. You know, that, especially because I've done so many things, there's, there's, there's highlight moments all the way through the career. You know, there's, there's, there's when I played The Tonight Show and sang a duet with Leia Salonga. Um, and that's when I found out I needed glasses because I couldn't see the teleprompter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, that was a huge deal for me. Like, I couldn't believe it, you know? Like, right. here I am, I'm going to sing this song on the... On the, I wasn't supposed to sing this song. I, I know I'm. I know you can edit down all these stories, but yeah, no, they're great. As a musician, you'll like this story. So I was her music. I don't know if you know Leia Salonga. She she was Miss Saigon. Uh, she's from the Philippines. She's basically like Michael Jackson in the Philippines. She's the biggest, huge star. When we go do in store signings, it'd be like a mile long line for to get signed. She's an incredible singer. She got. I've I've played the Philippines a few times, so that's how I know of her. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she was. Um, she did the lead in Miss Saigon, and then she did the, the, one of the princesses in one of the Disney things. She was a. I forget which princess. Anyway, uh, so I got a gig to be her musical director, and um, she got signed by. That's awesome. She got signed by Atlantic. I believe it was Atlantic. Don't quote me on that. Uh, to, they were going to make her a big pop star. That was the idea, and. Um, uh, she had, she was still is but what unbelievable singer unbelievable so she had a single out with this young guy who was also on Broadway he had, was starring in some Broadway show so that so that we were doing this tour and it was and they would sing the duet and we did the today so we did these different shows we hadn't done the Tonight Show yet so we did the Today Show and fortunately I can't remember his name so we won't throw him under the bus. <laughs> So they finished the song, and I put a great band together, and we play, and, and then so on. And then in the interview, uh, Katie Couric talks to Leia first, and then she turns to this young guy and says, so what are you up to these days? And he goes, well, I'm doing this Broadway show, blah, blah, blah. We go backstage, and it's, uh, it's Leia's manager, and then this kid, his mom, who's his manager, a couple other people. She comes running up into the face of the manager and goes, can I swear on this podcast? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> she goes, what the fuck was that? And he goes, and he was a, he was a hardened, he was a real old school manager, like knew his, he was like, 
what are you talking about? She says, how dare you not tell Katie Couric that he was in a Broadway show? And he said, I did tell her. She, that's a way of opening conversation. And she's like, I've never seen... And she's just fucking in his face, right? Yelling, it's screaming. He turns to me and he goes, hey, Steve, you sing, right? I go, yeah. He goes, he looks at the kid, he goes, you're fired. <laughs> he goes, Steve, you're singing the duet for the rest of the tour. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So that, that's incredible. So that's how I ended up singing the duet on the Tonight Show. Wow! So the Tonight Show was a big one. Uh, um, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, the first time I had a piece being recorded for, for orchestras, like a sixty-piece orchestra, it was for I think it was for AT and T, and and uh, that was pretty. Just seeing that, being in a studio with that many people, that was a big one. Um, Incredible! First time I, yeah. I played with Crosby when he and I did a duet of "You Can Close Your Eyes," James Taylor's song, and we're you know up there at the festival and just him and me. Well, actually, Leland was on that gig, so it was Leland playing the bass part from the record, and me and David and and David's son James Raymond playing piano. And I just remember that moment, like, wow! I would never thought I'd be not only you know singing this James Taylor song. With the guy who played bass on the record, with David Crosby, and you know, uh, so you know, and, and some of the movies. Uh, oh, here's a good one. This was a great one. I, about three years ago, I scored a movie called Dying to Know. It's a fa- fabulous documentary um, about Timothy Leary and Ram Dass, and their and their relationship uh, throughout the years. Because Ram Dass originally um, was just a was a Harvard. Uh, guy who was doing research with Timothy and they were the, the doing the original research on on LSD. And um somewhere towards the end of the filming we uh, the director got Robert Redford to narrate it. So we go into the studio with Robert Redford. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I've been around a lot of famous people but I was like yeah it was really something I got to say. Such a That's so cool. Yeah, it was awesome. Awesome. Let's talk about that. I know. I know. There's so there's a a varying degree of social etiquette when you're around, you know, celebrity figures, especially like we say the greats, right? How do you conduct yourself? I mean, what do you say? You know, again, a lot of the, a lot of the times I'm speaking to the up and coming aspiring generations. You know, what do you recommend? How do you conduct yourself? What's the proper? You know, you don't want a fanboy no. out, fangirl out. No. The, the, but you want to also have confidence and be, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've had a couple. Is I mean, with Robert Redford, I had to be talking to him because I was directing the recording. So, right. you know, we were communicating about that, and also my sister had been friends and went to school with his daughter, and they danced together in a the high school modern dancing. So I, you know, I mentioned that, and, um, uh, but. I feel like, like in my friendships with guys who are famous and watching people around them, it's intense. You know, it's 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 a little oppressive. It's it's great that people love them. Um, so so if I'm meeting someone, I I I I don't I stand back. You know, here's a, a great example that just happened, which is another another of my peak moments in this career. So we played Iridium in New York media family and of course I think everyone knows that Wadi was in the uh, expensive winos with Keith Richards 
Right. So the rumor was maybe Keith was going to come down to the show. Gotcha. Well, about three hours before his his team of uh, security guys come down, looking where where should he sit? Where's a safe place? You know the whole really the whole thing. So we figure he's really coming. So sure enough, we're in the dressing room and walks Keith Richards. Now, there's not a lot of people left. I think Keith and Paul McCartney would be the two guys where I would just go, holy shit. <laughs> Keith Richards is in this dressing room right now. You know, right, even right, even right. Mick, I wouldn't have the same feeling. It's just as a guitar player, as I just like, holy shit. Yeah. And of course, he was just the loveliest great everything you could hope he would be he was he was so great to to be around That's but fantastic you know i'm i'm the you know there's elder statesman in there i'm not going to get in his face about anything i mean i i'm just going to take in the moment and that's it you know i i i have nothing i'm not going to add anything to the conversation it's just you know <laughs> unless it's relevant but the the great moment so he was going to he told Wadi he was going to stay for a couple songs they stayed the whole night. Oh, nice. And uh, so the night's over. Um, and we played, a, you know, when you're playing for Keith Richards, you bring you bring your A game, <laughs> you know. <laughs> we played a really good show that night. Show's over. And uh, Keith, I see Keith saying goodbye to Hugging Waddy and Patty is saying goodbye to everybody, you know. And then he's waving over like he's motioning and like towards, sort of towards me, but I can't imagine it's, I look around, there's no one behind me, and he's pointing, you, come over here. So I come over, and he puts his hands on my shoulders, and he goes, you know the only thing better than two guitar players? I said, what? He goes, three guitar players. (laughs) (laughs) And he gave me a hug, and he said, I love the show. And Uh, I just was like, okay. That's amazing. You know, I'm I'm good now. (laughs) That's... (laughs) Oh, when you when you receive those affirmations from your heroes, that's the best, right? I mean, come on. It's just yeah, it's really something. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Again, I keep referring to the reason why I like talking about this stuff because I do feel it's important, and I feel this day and age, a lot of the uh, you know nuances get lost. There's a, um, a lot of that's going to get lost. Like there's not yeah you know the Tom Petty guys they got to hang with Dylan and and they're you know and. He got to meet them and work with them. I I get to be with the media family guys and meet and hang out with Jackson and Crosby and and meet a Keith Richards. Right. The, it's going to be hard for the that like the world has changed right. so much that those experiences, which are so beautiful, yes, aren't going to be quite the same. I think. I couldn't agree more. Hi, I'm Steve Postel with the Immediate Family, and you are listening to the Career Musician Podcast with Nomad. The goal of the Career Musician Podcast is to provide valuable insight aimed at supporting working musicians. Please show your support by listening, downloading, subscribing, sharing, liking, and leaving a review. You're listening to the Career Musician Podcast with your host, Nomad. Now, let's talk about when you're in the studio, because you mentioned, well, it doesn't matter. Now, let's let's focus on this for a minute, if you don't mind. Studio etiquette. I'm a big this is important to me, studio etiquette. Like you said, we assume the roles of just, you know, laying back, being chill, not getting in anybody's face. And I, I think that could, that's never as important as it is in the studio. That's 
the producer, you have the hierarchy, you have the artist, you have the label executives, you have the producer, you might have a co-producer, you know, and then you have the band and the musicians. I know how I conduct myself in the studio. Talk about that. And not, not only that, when you're talking about a 60-piece orchestra and it's on the union card and time is of the essence, you know. That was, that was an intense. So, our, so we had a friend who was a composer. Me, I, I had a little production company, me and my friend, Joel Derwin, who's a brilliant violinist. Uh, I'm sorry, say his name Joel again? Joel Derwin. He's one of the top violinists okay. in L.A. Uh, this was yes. many, many years ago. Okay. Um, so, so we would work with our friend and bring, bring he, he was more of a, we would bring sort of some pop elements if he needed it into a piece. So when he had something to score that needed, that wasn't straight classical or something, we often would, would work with him. So this was, this was for at and uh, I don't know, the World's Fair or, or something like that. It was a 10-minute piece that was going to go with this video for AT&T. So he was um, playing a DX7 and conducting while he played it. And then the tracks that we did were pre-recorded and they were playing along to it. So we pre-recorded some of it. And um, being young and mischievous, we... DX7 had you could change the names of the patches so we went in the night before and wrote all this like really filthy stuff and changed all the names of the patches thinking it would crack them up but it it panicked him because he couldn't find any of his he didn't know anything was but so the session started out a little rocky but uh but anyway um we we got through it that's hilarious and and I'm sure nerve wracking when it went down. <laughs> when I realized that we fucked him up, I didn't. I was not happy, but I, I we didn't mean. Yeah. We thought he would laugh. We didn't know that he didn't. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But studio etiquette. Well, one thing, and it sounds like you've done both. I've been on all three three side. There's three sides of the table. Four really. I've been all four things. I've strictly been the engineer. Ah. I, I do a lot of production where I'm the producer. I've been the artist, and I've been the session guy playing for an artist. Yes. And I've done all of them a lot. So I'm very sensitive to what any of those people would need at any given time. Yes. So if I'm the producer, the way I handle the musicians who come in, I never tell them what to play before they've done their own thing, ever. I let them I let them hear it if they ask me a question you know what direction what you know that's fine but I don't want to get in their face at all until they've done their thing cuz I've been on that side of it and I know it can really it can make you super uptight if 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 you haven't even started playing yet and the producers you know telling you all this barking orders yeah there's yeah. one there's one, uh. one session or 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 telling you play ways that you don't we we had a a producer and he meant well this is not was not malicious at all he was not an experienced record producer he was a film guy and but he was doing a song in here and i was just engineering and they asked me to put the band together so i got um i know i got russ kunkel on drums and i think bobby glaub on bass that day and uh yes. and this guy says to russ uh yeah i was thinking something like a rick Murata thing and russ goes I can give you his number. 
right. And I just went to the guy. I went, you know, that's Russ Kunkel, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, right, right. <laughs> so he did. It's like so studio etiquette. This guy, you know, uh, he didn't. Have, he didn't have a clue. Right, yeah. You know. Um, <laughs> That's so funny. I've done that before too. I didn't say it quite like that, but I said I've leaned over and said, "You know, so and so is a really good buddy of mine. I could call him right now and bring him in because I just want to make sure that you get what you need." I've done. You know? I've done that. I, you know, I, yeah, I, yeah. I had a guy call me in um, that I'd done a lot of uh, film work for, and yeah. and which is he writes out every note. You know, it's like, I want this sound, like this record, and this note, and this is a film or a TV show. That's exactly, that's what the job is. Then he right. made his first solo record, and he said, you know, I'm not that experienced. I'd love to have you have your vibe, you know, come in, and what do you think? And so I went to the studio, and he started doing the same thing with me. And I, and I said, you know, if you just want someone to, if you just want to write out the part, because um, I was doing it as a favor, I said, you know, get is you don't need me. Anybody can do that. If you want me to do what you asked me for, you know, like, so there's, there's, there's so many subtleties in how to get the most, the best thing out of a studio. And one of the things that so, was so amazing going in the studio with Wadi and Danny and Russ and Lee is that no one's been in the studio more than them. No one. That's right. And I've been in the studio an awful lot. A lot. <laughs> you know? Right, 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 right. And, and it was, the way it worked it's it's very organic with us. We don't, it's, it's not it's not a discussion, but everybody knowing when to say something. What that there was one tune that wasn't working. It just wasn't feeling right to the point where it's almost like maybe we shouldn't cut this. But it's just it. Ten minutes later, it was rocking because everybody knew how to shift and adjust. And maybe if we do this, and uh, so I, I just you know it's such a thrill. Because nobody knows studio etiquette, no one better than those guys. Nobody. I love it. You know, I love it. I cut my teeth in the studio in Nashville. Uh-huh. I lived there for eight years before moving here. Yeah. And that time again was so important. You know, it's just it's it really helps form who you're going to be in this career. You know, in that in that aspect. Uh, I would love to be a fly on the wall in some of your sessions <laughs> with the guys. That would be really cool. <laughs> we have a lot. We have a, so much fun. There's so much respect. Everybody respects everyone's ideas. Everyone's got the same skill sets and then different skill sets, and they complement mm-hmm. each other so beautifully. And uh, I, I, I'm on top of the world playing with this band. So the the music that you guys are recording, and, and and I believe you're coming out with a new project here soon. Right? Well, the single comes out tomorrow. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Right, beautiful, yeah. beautiful. All yeah. right. So the single is coming out June twelfth. What is that? June June twelfth. Yeah. Yep. Because today's eleventh. The, the okay. video came June out tw- today, June eleventh, uh, on, in, on RollingStone.com. Right. Okay. Article and video. Yeah. Excellent. And I'll put all of that here in this podcast in the notes. Um, you guys are self-produced then is it a shared role yeah i mean we yeah we're we're as as we said before there's four of us in the band who all have produced lots of records <laughs> so yeah know. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so so on, on paper it's you know it's produced by everybody in the band and also literally hanging out. You guys just all chime in. Absolutely, everybody has. That's great. Yeah, and 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 it's all valid. It's all, you know, interesting. And um, 
I think generally because there's five of us and it's not an even number, there's, you know, there's a consensus. If somebody hates something, we just won't do it. But if three guys, yeah. generally, if three guys like it, if guys like it, it's like, okay, I, I we're in. You know what you're, yeah. you, you know, I mean, yeah. like sometimes. Let's say there's a. It's funny. One time there was a there was a line in one of Danny's songs. I wasn't sure about it. I, I was on the phone with Waddy. I said, "What do you think about that line?" He goes, "You know, I, I know what you're talking about, but sometimes when I'm about to say something to Danny, I go, think of how many hit songs that guy wrote. <laughs> he probably <laughs> he probably knows." <laughs> you know. There you go. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, the the mutual admiration and respect is is amazing. That's. I'm sure that's key to making something like this work. Yeah, don't think we don't give each other shit because that's a okay. that's a big a big factor in the, in the band. Good. Well, you have to. You're boys. You know, yeah. you got to give each other shit, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Especially me at being the younger guy. <laughs> ah, that's so funny because both Cooch and Waddy said that. <laughs> they did re- refer to that. All right. So I love the fact that you painted such a clear picture in the studio. I find that uh, oftentimes it's reflected on stage as well, and especially being an MD. I talked to both of the guys also about being music directors. I was a music director uh, to Kenny Babyface Edmonds mm. for 10 years. Wow. So I recently just left that position uh, late 2019. So I know what it's like. Uh, I also know that whether you're on stage or in the studio with artists of this stature, it's a lot of pressure when you're the music director. You know, is there anything that you want to talk about in that regard? Well, I've been that too. You know, I was musical director right. for Jennifer Warren's when we toured. Um, and that's, you know, that's a tough... Uh, because then you're you're accommodating the artist first, right? Also the musicians, yes. And depending on who the artist is, um, it can be that's it's a tightrope walking, you know. It uh, sure is a lot of psychology, right? A lot, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. and uh, so, but um, and there's a lot too, you know. You, that means you're writing the charts usually, and 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 you're handing them out, and and you're. Uh, um, I, I don't mind the role. I was always musical director of. of I've been musical director of some off-Broadway shows and some different bands and all kinds of stuff. But I love being in this band. There's no such thing. We are we are the musical right. director. <laughs> yes. Once again, the producer in the studio, the music director on stage, Absolutely. it's all the same. Yeah. 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 I love that. Yeah. I love that. So cool. All right. So talk about the business side. It's something else I like to impart to the upcoming generations, business acumen. Uh, clearly, somebody like yourself could not have gotten to where you are if you didn't know how to operate your business and perhaps even more so knowing when to delegate and what to delegate. Right. Um. Well, first of all, things have really changed. Like, when I came up, um, there was way less business to do. Uh, It was a lot of word of mouth. Somebody would say, oh, Steve Postel, call him. Um, You couldn't really promote yourself, really. We didn't have websites, you know, as... It was, it was you do a good job and try to be a good guy. That was kind of, right. That was that was the, your job. And then when I on my, on the rock and roll original music side, I always had managers, you know, and they did the business. Right. I didn't do it at all. Um, 
And today it's the exact opposite of that. Like if you haven't done your business, you're not going to get a manager. They only managers only assign people who who have their business shit together and already have a following and already have you know. Um, it's amazing. Yes, uh, I resisted it for a long time. I think most guys in my from my era and back just the whole idea of oh you're telling me I, now I got not only do I have to be good at this I have to self promote. I gotta be a visit. That sucks. Uh, it's a bitch to say the least. It's yeah. just, it's just not. Uh, who <laughs> it's, likes it's it? Hard. I mean, maybe the young, maybe the younger generation does like it. I don't like it. Um, yeah. But I agree with you. <laughs> but it's the deal, you know. It's yeah. it's uh, it's what's going on, and 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 it should. Yeah, I was just talking to uh, you know the number all of us guys. Just Robin Ford about it the other day about his, mm. you know, here's a guy. For example, wow. who has more knowledge to impart Oof. than almost anyone yeah. who's ever picked up a guitar, and and we don't want it to disappear. Yes. So, dude. So it's like, he, and he is. He's getting, you know, his 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 dojo teaching channel and YouTube channel, and you know, it's like, yeah, we didn't necessarily go into it to do all this stuff, but that's where it's at right now. Um, fortunately for the band, uh, we have a great team, great team, and they're really good at it. So we have a, a woman named Lisa Roy, who's one of the best in the business. Shout out to Lisa for connecting us. Yes, she, you know she's incredible. She's amazing. Uh, yes, and she and I think I mean, I'm speaking for her. I think she likes doing it, whereas we we know you know. Right. For me, it's a little bit like you know twisting my arm. So she's great sure, at it, yeah. and she likes it. And then there's yes. there's our managers, Fred Quishal and David Helfand, but Fred's daughter Kirby also does all of our social, a lot of our social media. And she likes it, and she's good at it, right. and she understands it. So fortunately, we have help. Um, and uh, uh, so it's it's just part of the. I mean, kids understand it a lot more than than we do. I'm learning about it all the time. Um, I'm. But I think what. Oh, go no, ahead. go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I think what you just said is the key factor. You have to build a team. Uh, because each person on the team has a certain set of responsibilities. That's the way it works. Right, but you but know. if you're young, there's no team. Yes. You're the team. There's no team. That's right. right? That's right. So that's yeah. why young people have to understand analytics and uh-huh. metrics, metrics yes. and all this crap, you know, the words we didn't even know five years ago. Right. <laughs> and uh, um and they do. They 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 understand they're good at it, you know. That that's 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 the game right now. Unfortunately, and this sounds like a get off my lawn old guy complaint, I feel that it has replaced to some extent being really good at the music. Like being good at the promotion and the social media and the metrics and all that has become so much of a focus that less time is put into the focus on, you know, it it took a lot of hours to get good at mu- playing music and learning and writing music and understanding music and all the yes. all and being an engineer and all the things i mean a lot of hours that's right and if if i had to at the time put those hours if i'd been spread thin like you have to be now it would have really cut into that would have been hard yeah uh like i always think of uh gladwell the book yeah. malcolm gladwell uh the Ten- you know the outliers 10,000 hours I would say it took way more than ten thousand hours. Way more, exactly. <laughs> We're talking, you know. Yeah, it's it's geez, way more. Thirty, forty, fifty. I mean, come on, it's just you know, 
like and and the greats that we talk about. So yeah, well, that's a great breakdown. I appreciate that insight. It's very true. So I think, uh, like you said, to wrap that up, focus more on the music if possible. Try to delegate delegate certain tasks again if possible. And what I always say, if not in the beginning when you're, it's just you really learn how to manage your time i think that's the the key element right yeah i think i think that um you got to do the social media thing limit it say i'm going to yes. do one hour a day or whatever you do yes um yes and don't just don't just flit away your time on it don't just sit there right. which i find myself doing you know late at night and yeah uh, and there's a lot of great stuff i mean i there's so much great music on on there which i like um but that doesn't replace sitting down with your instrument. That's right. You know, uh, there's so much that that goes into perfecting this these crafts that take just pure time. There's no there is no shortcut to the time that it takes. And, man, no truer words have been spoken. Definitely. All right. So really, uh, you've everything that you've talked about kind of shines a light on your wisdom and knowledge throughout this interview. I'm grateful for that. If there was anything that perhaps we missed, you know, words of wisdom, uh, any kind of, you know, something that you can offer and say, hey, you know what, I think it's summed up like this. I mean, again, you covered quite a bit of territory already. I'd say I'm a believer in art as a value to, to mankind. <laughs> I don't think it's the most important thing, you know. We're not more important than doctors or or anybody or bricklayers. We're not more important, but it's very important. I feel it's important. Hmm. I take it very seriously as as much as I can joke around. I, I and I feel like there's a value in integrity in art, and I'm talking all the arts, but um, and there's and we live in a culture that has somewhat dumbed it down. Hmm. And since I grew up in a time when all the arts were... I mean, Picasso was alive when I was a kid. And 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 uh, Balanchine was still choreographing when I was a kid. And, and Segovia was teaching the world what classical guitar was. And the Beatles were still making records. You know, like... Uh, I... We got to move forward. We can't live in the past. But there's such a richness of the way art was made for so many years that mm-hmm. I I would I would ask um, I would hope that young people would would adopt the same kind of real love for the art itself that that we grew up with. You know, the other day I was reading some interview with some up-and-coming singer-songwriter, 25. I hate classic rock, she says. And then she sings a song that sounds like Joni Mitchell. <laughs> you know, it's like, what What do you mean you hate classic rock? Why would you say why that? Would you, yeah. Why would you Why would you say it? Because is it cool to say that? Like, like you're not going to learn from the greatest era of pop music that, you know, you don't have to do it. You're contemporary. That's great. And she's talented. Like, what, But what are you missing by by feeling that way? Right. We didn't. Then, when you came up as a musician, if you didn't listen to shit that came before you and 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 admire it and have the reverence, and, yes, and, and right, 
then basically it was like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You didn't have to do it. I, I didn't play jazz, but if, if I put it down, fuck you. That's right. You know, on the contrary, I knew I didn't really have time to be a classical player and a rock and a writer and a jazz guitar. So I just said, right. I'm going to leave that to the jazz guys. But I right. I paid a lot of time into listening to it, understanding it, and respecting it. That's right. Oh, well said. I love that. Uh, and you know what? I say this a lot, too. That little disclaimer, like you said earlier, it sounds like get off my lawn. But you know what? Look, I don't care because it's the truth. And I think that respect and that reverence and the appreciation, right? Like you said, appreciation for the fine arts. Yeah. It's so important. You got to have that foundation. Right. And, and and the thing is, do it in a current way. Surprise us. Use the fucking right. use the technology and surprise the shit out of me. But fucking read a book. Yeah. Read a poem. Yeah. You're going to write lyrics? Read a poem. Ah. You know? Listen to Lou Reed's lyrics and Bob's and Joni's and, you know, listen right. to that. Read it if you're going to write lyrics. And then and then do your own crazy stuff with, with new technology and, and right. you know, yeah, surprise me. Do something I have never yeah. heard before. I'm into it. I love you that. You know, my example is always this. So Picasso, by the end of his life, of course, was total to cubism and, and all, you know, wacky, you know, visual stuff. Avant stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he was 20 years old, he could paint a portrait that looked like a photograph. Mm. So, so he did the work. He had the fundamental. So when he went off and did his own thing, it was based on a groundwork that was solid. That's right. That's what I wish. That's what I wish. Don't lose That's that. Right. It's so easy now. Get GarageBand. There's, yeah, the loop's it's already it's in there. Yeah, Even yeah. the musical thing, you put it all together, and now I got a song. Yeah. Don't do That's it that it. way. There is programs, software programs now that build chords for you, so you don't you don't even have to understand the the, the basics of harmony. No, I saw an ad for it came up on. It's uh, like come yes, on. Yes, I saw an ad. Learn. I saw an ad for it. You don't yeah. you don't know what a chord is? Don't worry chord about is, it. Get to, don't worry about it. You know. Learn harmony for crying out loud. Understand what a triad is. Do it. Why not? And then and then do whatever you want. Yes. Yes. You know. So funny. I was talking to Norwood yesterday, uh, the bassist from Fishbone, and he said something very similar to you. You know, he's like, I'm looking to the youth to surprise me. Right. Give us something that we haven't heard yet. And you just said the same thing. But again, with some rooted foundation. Right. I'm totally into it. I, I want I wanna be blown away but i unfortunately yes. the last person who kind of blew me away was prince and that's what is that 30 years ago you know yeah i mean there's yeah, been some there's right. some cool stuff but i want someone mm -hmm. to 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 you know and there's some great young people don't get me wrong there's, i mean a guy like absolutely guy like blake mills is doing beautiful stuff and but but blake yes. mills is a hardcore student of what came before him that's right you know that's right uh, Kamasi Washington is another this, one that comes to mind. Yes, yeah, it's great. Yeah, there's so many, yeah. so many. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, this has been fantastic. Before we go, would you mind if we do some rapid fire questions for fun? I'm here. All right. Your favorite food? Japanese. Okay. Sushi or other? Other. Can you expound? Uh, yes. I I one summer lived with a bunch of deep sea fishermen on Montauk. Uh, who 
went out for a week, 100 miles out, they'd come back. And those guys told me that you couldn't pay them to eat sushi. <laughs> Even though they, they fished for the best sushi, for the best restaurants in New York. Sure, sure. So I stopped eating <laughs> sushi. And, That's uh, awesome. But I love the everything else about it. I, I just, uh, yeah. It's healthy, light, beautiful food. And, yeah, and, uh, it is. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Okay, favorite libation, although I know you don't partake anymore. It could be a soft drink or your favorite others, whatever. Well, I drink a lot of coconut water. But in terms, Ooh, in terms, which is, I, I have a hard time just drinking straight water. But when I was, if I do have a cocktail, I've gone through different periods. It's like I had my wine, yeah. red wine period, and then I had my my aged whiskey period and my aged scotch period. You know, I've, I've been all around, I, I, all around the. I guess right now, as as a wimp, it's coconut water. Hey, that's great, man. That's fantastic. I'm a big whiskey and scotch guy myself, so I can relate. Okay, favorite sport? You said earlier oh, no basketball no, you played a no lot? No question. Yeah. Excellent, basketball. excellent. And assuming you have any, how do you spend your free time? Uh, I don't really have a lot. I mean, on, pur- exactly. on purpose. Like, I... I yeah. uh, I'm pretty... I, I really love doing this, and there's so many things to do. So I have my work... You know, right now I'm right. editing a book on tape, and then I'm doing a, a, a mix on something. You know, so I have I have the work that I have to do. Then sure. I have the stuff like for immediate family. We're doing a new video. I'm working on that. And then if I have time left over, I'll go grab some old classical pieces, and I'm working them up again just for fun. And then I'll, and then I'll then I'll think of a song and do a video of it. Just throw up on on you know because again we're talking about social media. What I realize sure. is, you got to put stuff out there. Yes. So I'll go. Oh, you know, th- here's a song. Let me do this, you know. Or here's a piece. Uh, yeah. So, um, so it isn't a lot anymore, like free time That's per right. se, you know. But I, I mean, I like to go skiing now. It's down to once or twice a year. Um, I like to right. go. Still like to go hit a tennis ball, you know, occasionally. But nice, nice. You mentioned classical guitar. I typically get uh, acrylic put on my right hand mm. nails. Do you do the same? Have you ever done I that? I have. The, the, I try. If, uh, this is an interview with sound, but you can see I have. Nice. I try not to because, and I only do it when I break a nail, because once yeah. you go there, you can't go back. Well, let me just say, since the pandemic, I have not been able to get my nails done, and it's killing me because the, my natural nails are so soft. That's right. So I, so I, I yeah. figured out yeah. early on that what it does is it, it t- kind of destroys the nail underneath. So... Guys like James yeah. Taylor, he he just has them on all the time, and I yes. I can make mine my own. I did learn how to do it so that okay. uh, so if I'm on the road and I break a nail, I'll I'll use the yeah. ac- acrylic. But uh, so I'm still knock on wood playing with my natural nails, and I don't I don't play that hard where I'm ripping them. Right, yeah. right, right. That's awesome. All right, so long flights. What do you enjoy on long flights besides sleeping? First class. Amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's the last song or artist or band that you've listened to that you did not play on or work on in any way? You mean literally like in the last two days? Something that you've been listened to recently that you, that you had nothing to do with. Uh, the new Blake Mills record. Okay, Blake Mills. You mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, I, like, I like that. Do you have a favorite TV show or movie that you're streaming at the moment? Um, I've only streamed one show in my life because again I just don't have the time. But I did stream um, Breaking Bad, and I was I was just stunned by the brilliance of that. 
Uh, right. But I realized the amount of time it took to to do that, so I yes. I don't I don't get myself into that anymore. But um, that's awesome. Uh, I I love film. I just love film, and so I'll Good. I'll still you know we won't get into conversation of how films have gone downhill, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I watch to this day. I mean, it, you know, growing up in New York, there were all these amazing movie houses and and vintage movie houses, and you know, I, I so I still right. a week never goes by I don't watch a movie. Oh, that's nice, excellent. Shopping online or brick and mortar. Sans pandemic, of course. Uh, both. I I the online thing okay. is for for um, yeah, it's changed everyone's life and i and i have a lot of equipment i need to get and to know if i know what i want if i just want a a pick holder or you know and you can find shit that like whitey and i were going i wonder if someone makes a a a slide holder that fits on a guitar and you look it up there's 20 of them you know isn't that great so (laughs) uh so i like them but but i i'm a shopper for my i i like when i go when we tour all my life when i tour I love to walk. I walk like five, six, seven miles a day, and yes. I just love going into stores. I like looking at stuff. And yes, yeah. it is that is part of the charm of being on the road, yeah. different city every day or every. Yeah, and day. I have yeah. stuff like this. I have this. The other day, I was taking a walk and I was looking at the baseball hat. And I was, oh yeah, I remember I got this in Japan. It was sunny, and I went into right. the store. Yeah, right. That's awesome. You've collaborated with so many and so many of the greats and legends. Is there a dream collaboration that hasn't happened yet? Well, sure, of course. I mean, uh, any of them. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, there's, there's, you know, I do have been writing with David with Crosby now, so that's wonderful. Not just to play, but to write, actually write with them as a dream come true. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, a- anybody that I admire. I mean, I've played, you know, I've jammed with Jackson many times, but you know, every time is amazing. That, you know, to but uh, so cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm, the more the merrier. You know, I love it all. I mean, I I would love, I love there's guys I know that I've never played with, like Bruce Coburn. I know him. I, you know, we're friendly. Okay. But I I hope someday we we play. Well, that's not true. We did play it at a together for people at a party. So, but yeah, yeah. Okay, awesome. And finally, what would you do if you weren't a career musician? Probably something criminal. <laughs> uh, That's awesome. I mean, I, I don't, I don't like having a boss. Uh, 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 I, but realistically, um, I'd probably write. Hmm. Yeah, I think I would have. Um, That's my guess. Is I'd be, uh, is it, that I might have been a writer. Yeah. That's incredible. Steve, you have been an excellent guest. We are grateful to have you here and to, you know, for you sharing your knowledge and wisdom. Thank you so much. Hey, great interview, man. It's, it's, it's always nice when the... Uh, it, it works both ways. You know, some people aren't musicians, ask yes. interesting questions that are different. But someone right. like you who knows what we're talking about and on the inside, yeah. it's, it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Thank you so much, brother. Appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. All right. Download, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. If you've enjoyed today's interview, be sure to leave a review and subscribe to the Career Musician Podcast. I'm just a nomad, nowhere man. 
writing the songs in this one man band. I know man. This is Nomad, host and creator of the Career Musician Podcast, and I am thoroughly stoked to be an official member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Pantheon Podcast Network is the first of its kind as an all-music-based podcast collective. Please be sure to check us out at pantheonpodcast.com for more info. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 